Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, Chuck Bryant. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. How's it going? You can just call me Nicola. (laughs) Really? Uh, Okay. How about Chuck? Yes. All right. How are you doing? Chuck? I'm good, dude. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm juiced. I'm much better than how you asked me 20 minutes ago when we recorded the other podcast. No, that was uh, that was two days, three two, days ago? Two days from now. Right. Yeah. It's magic. Uh, it is magic. We'll have to reveal our secret one day. Like some sort of... We could dress up like uh, Siegfried and Roy. I get to be Siegfried this time, And just sit there and though. tell everybody. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I owe it to you. And Jerry, Jerry is always just the white tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice one, Jerry. Chuck, I have a, a trivia question for you. Beautiful. Okay, hit me. Why are the Los Angeles Dodgers named the Los Angeles Dodgers? Bing. Okay, Chuck. I know the answer. Do you want me to say it or do you want to say it? I want you to say it. I just asked you a question. Because when they were in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. their original uh, spot, there were a lot of uh, train trolley cars in Brooklyn at the time that had really dangerous electrical wiring that operated them. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would dodge these electrical lines in these train cars. And so they called them the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers initially. Did they? And then that shortened to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then they, uh, O'Ma- the O'Malley family uh, broke the hearts of Brooklyn and moved them to L.A. I can't believe that still. I know. Who does that? Uh, did you ever see that documentary on HBO about the Brooklyn Dodgers? No. Oh, so good. No. it Was it? Yeah. I mean, there are people in Brooklyn today that have not watched a baseball game since the Brooklyn Dodgers moved. They were, their hearts were broken so badly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Wow. Rip the heart out of Brooklyn. Yeah. But actually, it wasn't. People might write in. There's been some follow-up, and O'Malley really tried his hardest to keep the team there, mm-hmm. and there were some politics involved. That, that greedy Sandy Koufax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But off topic. A little bit, but not really. Sure. Not really, uh, because you can make a case that it was um, Thomas Alva Edison who gave the Brooklyn Dodgers their name. Bring it home, baby. Okay, I will. So uh, by the time the uh, Dodgers were formed in the uh, 1880s, right, um, Edison had basically lit up parts of New York. Yeah. With his incandescent light bulb. Big, big innovation. It was huge, man. I mean, imagine going from, like, gaslight to electricity. Yeah, I mean, I bet it blew people's minds back then. Sure, I, I imagine so, especially when they touched one of those trolley lines. Yeah, big time. Sure. Uh, so, okay, Edison was a uh, visionary, a uh, genius, yeah. one can make the case, Sure. Um, and an innovator. And he came up with what we know of as modern harnessing of electricity, yeah. which uh, I should probably point out, electricity is not energy. It's an energy carrier. Right. Direct current is what he uh, was his big thing. Right. Direct current is basically, it is well, not basically, it's where electricity, the electric charge, is is constant. It never changes. And so if you look at it. One directional. It, it is. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it as like a line, it's just a straight line. Right. And Edison was pretty happy with his direct current inventions. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that you lose a lot of it to waste heat over long distances. Yeah, well, basically, you can't really transport it over super long distances, they found out. Right, okay. So uh, that was kind of the, the the drawback to it. Other right. than that, it was enormous. He lit up New York and arguably created um, what we know of today as light. Right. Right? 
But there was another way of looking at things, and that is the alternating current. Yeah. So Edison was yeah. super, super, super married to direct current. He just saw it. I think uh, I read a quote of a river flowing gently to the sea. That's how we characterize direct current. That will kill you if you touch it. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, an alternating current is if you, instead of that straight line of a charge um, or flow of electricity from one pole to the other, I think negative to positive, all, always, alternating current looks like a sine wave, uh-huh. right? So it has a wavelength. And it actually goes back and forth from one pole to another, which is why it's called alternating. Right. And these days, it does so at about 60 cycles per second. So it changes direction 60 times in a second. Right. And it's very steady and reliable. And actually, in those days, too. I think it's the same. Yeah. Which is one of the cool things. Right. So here's the thing. We're, we're talking about electricity here. What I think a lot of people overlook is that Edison was also quite a showman. And great businessman. Very, very much so. Uh-huh. As much as much a great businessman as a genius, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But he was also very stubborn, and he didn't. He didn't. He didn't think there was any way to improve or any need to improve upon direct current. Right. There's another guy whose name people might be familiar with, and his name was Nikola Tesla. Not a great businessman. No. In fact, a very poor businessman, evidently. He was actually. He spent some time after he he became a great inventor digging ditches just to try to make ends meet. Yeah. Apparently, he didn't. Uh, he did file for a lot of patents, but apparently he didn't do that nearly enough because a lot of his stuff was kind of t- stolen and uh, kind of, you know, nicked from. Right. So, Chuck, we've got Edison on one side with DC, uh-huh. and we have uh, Tesla on the other side with AC. Yeah, that was it his sounds like, baby. Sounds like, you know, a couple of, couple of nerds going at it. But really, these two guys engaged in this very, very public rumble, and basically at stake was the infrastructure. Yeah. Of the United States. And the, and the world. Exactly, yes. Uh-huh. This huge, huge, massive... Um, Competition. Sure. That just took place, and there was some crazy stuff that went that, that came out of it. Yeah. Lots of electrocutions, lots of nefariousness. Oh, yeah. God, and we'll uh, we're not going to tell you who won yet, because a lot of people don't necessarily know what kind of electricity we use more than the other, DC or AC. So we're just going to pay this out, baby. This is just interesting. So, uh, yeah, Nikola Tesla, he was uh, Austrian-born, and uh, he arrived in the United States in 1884 when he was just a young lad of 28. And a mere three years later, after being in the United States, he filed for a series of patents that basically outlined what you would need to uh, make the alternating current work. So he made pretty quick work when he came over here to the States. Right, he did. Did you ever see The Prestige? No. Great movie. I've heard. David Bowie played Tesla in that movie. Nice. Yeah, very cool. Did he do a good job? Yeah. Like labyrinth quality job? Oh, better. Okay. I thought so. All right. But um, just a little sidebar if you're interested in that that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, after reading this and then finding out that Tesla actually may have sort of invented the radio, even though Marconi gets credit for that, there's a lot of things that Tesla did. He's sort of the unsung inventor. Uh, when you kind of look at all these little things. Yeah, and again, like you made the point, I think you have to be a really good self-promoter. Oh, big time. As much an innovator. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you are an innovator, you need to be a self-promoter. You get lost out in, yeah. the, in the annals of history. Especially back then. Right. So, uh, Chuck, let's talk about this. You said that he uh, came to the States. Yeah, from Austria. At the age of 28 and filed some really important patents early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were for his alternating current system. 
right? Yes, indeed. Here's the huge advantage of alternating current. We were talking about how DC is a constant, steady output of electricity, mm-hmm. uh, and alternating current is all over the place, but it's, st- it's also a, a steady uh, output of power. The thing is, is because, it, the, because DC doesn't alternate, uh, it loses a lot of energy to heat, and so it's not good for transporting at long distances, right? Mm-hmm. So Tesla came up with these, uh, these patents for the generation of an alternating current. And a transformer, right? Right. You've heard of these, and you probably don't know what they are. Well, here, this is the key to alternating current. Absolutely. What what you do is you generate this electricity, and you run it through a transformer, and with very little power loss, right, Mm -hmm. you can step it up to a tremendous voltage. Right. Well, step it down in this case. Well, no, you step it up first. For oh. long distance travel. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're using you're using less power to generate it. Right, right, right. But then you run it through this transformer, and all of a sudden, say a thousand volts goes to like five hundred thousand volts. Right. So you can shoot that thing amazingly long distances uh, without losing very much of the electricity involved in it. And then when it gets to say a neighborhood after passing through, you know, the desert or nowhere. Right. Uh, very dangerously. Mm-hmm. When it gets to a neighborhood, it goes through another transformer, and right. then it gets stepped down. That's what I was thinking about. Right. And so since you've lost very little, and it's being stepped down easily without much power loss to this transformer, you can supply tons of homes with a single line. Right. What, like 120 volts, I think, is what you end up using out of, let's say, a million volts that's on the line. Right, sure. And the, it, it can also be, when it's stepped up voltage-wise, it can be stepped down or it is inevitably stepped down in amplitude, which means that it requires less of a physically smaller line of copper, which also saves on cost because, you know, you remember when the uh, economic fallout was going on and people were stealing copper out of other people's cars and air conditioners because it was valuable? Right. It's expensive stuff, especially if you're talking about creating the infrastructure of an entire country. Right. So Tesla comes up with these patents and... uh, Pretty much right then and there changes everything again, except for the self-promotion part, right? Right. He 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 did be, he did his best work when he was able to hook up with people that were very good businessmen. Right. Who to, did he to back him? Who did he hook up with that really changed everything? So, Josh, you're talking about George Westinghouse. Yes. And I know you've heard of the Westinghouse Company, mm-hmm. which is probably means he did a pretty good job if you still know that name. Uh, he had an electric company. Uh, George did, and it was struggling to uh, work out some details of a, a successful AC system. And then he heard about this famous lecture that Tesla gave in uh, 1888. So he said, you know, we should get this guy. And Tesla had a couple of financial backers named Peck and Brown. So they approached Westinghouse about commercializing uh, Tesla's work. And at the time, he said, all right, sounds like a great idea. I'm going to give you guys twenty five grand in cash and another 50000 in uh, notes and some royalties uh, for uh, – the, the electricity that we create. Right. Well, and he, he gave him, I think, $2.50 for every horsepower that was sold through his invention by Westinghouse. Well, I have a little modern conversion for you. Let's hear it. That $75,000 back then uh-huh. would be $1.8 million today. Holy cow. And that's not even counting the royalties. Wow. So this is a lot of dough. It is. So thankfully, uh, with Peck and Brown's help, hooked him up with Westinghouse, now Tesla has a viable uh, situation going on here. And he can actually compete with Edison. 
Right. His nemesis. He worked for Edison. He did. That was awesome. He he went and worked for Edison. And there's uh, there's legend that he went to Edison and said, look, I've got this alternating current idea. It's really kind of better. Let's work it out together. Years. And Edison did not want to hear it. Yeah, he was very, like you said, very stubborn. He was like, no, DC, buddy. Go make the DC better. Which he, you know, he worked on that. Yeah. He tried it, to. Right. So actually, yeah, the the apparently Tesla eventually got um, so tired of Edison and his um, mule-headedness uh, that he just said, you know what, I'm going off on my own. And I think that's when he started digging ditches. Right. That's when he struggled before he eventually hooked up with Peck and Brown to give him some backing. Right. So that brings us back up to the, the current uh, time. Well, not current as in now, but current back then. And... Uh, they he battled you know Tesla sounds kind of like a little stubborn guy too because he used to battle with the Westinghouse guys on the best way to do this and eventually they settled on what we said before which is a three phase sixty cycle current that we still use today and you talked about that lecture that uh, attracted um, some adherents to Tesla including Westinghouse right yeah. Uh, well, it's he started to get more and more publicity just because he had such a good idea despite his terrible. Uh, self-promotion. Right, and showmanship. Right. There's a lot of that involved. He, he, his idea was so good, and it was just so cl- clearly superior to DC in the minds of some people that um, he couldn't help but get publicity. So as this started to develop, uh, Edison engaged in an all-out public war. Well, he got a little nervous, which is why he, he engaged in the war. In 1890, when this thing was kind of picking up steam and they were getting the 60-cycle uh, thing worked out, that's right. when Edison was like... So what Edison decided to do was to prove to everybody that alternating current is just dangerous. Yeah, that was his main uh, focus. And he did so by performing publicly executions on dogs, Uh horses, (laughs) and eventually he peaked, crescendoed, by electrocuting to death an elephant named Topsy in public. (laughs) He did. That's pretty funny. There's nothing funnier than publicly electrocuting an elephant, right? Right. But um, it gets it turns a little grim, right? Have you heard of William Kemmler? Well, I thought it was already grim, but yeah, sure. Did you? You got to toughen up, Nancy. <laughs> right. Um, William Kemmler was a convicted axe murderer. I looked him up. Actually, he was a convicted hatchet murderer um, who uh, killed his girlfriend. Okay. That's and then nice very guy. calmly went next door and said, "I just killed my girlfriend." Bada boom, bada bing, not much of a trial later, he was sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. The thing about Kemmler was he was a uh, going to be the first person in New York, and as far as I can tell, the first person in the United States who would be electrocuted to death rather than hung. This is news to me. They, I, I did some extra research. Nice work. Buddy. I heard electrocution. I'm like, oh, i got to look more into this. Right. Um, so Kemmler is going to be the first person in the electric chair. And he is. On August 6, 1890, he has this date with destiny and um, Tesla's invention. Apparently, they hadn't decided which way to go. Should it be DC? Should it be AC? And this guy who also used to publicly electrocute animals on behalf of Edison managed to finagle a used old Westinghouse AC generator uh-huh. uh, to be used to get rid of Kemmler. And... The execution was very public, and it was very horrible. Apparently, there were 25 witnesses. Most of them vomited. At least one fainted. I think one of the physicians that were attend- that was attending to the guy ran out of the room, couldn't watch. They put 2,000 volts of juice through the guy for, uh, I think, like 
10, 12 seconds. Uh-huh. <clears throat> he just turned totally rigid, apparently punctured uh, his finger with his fingernail. It was, it was bad, right? Mm-hmm. And then they stopped, and uh, the doctors went over and looked at him, and he started breathing again. Right. And they shouted to throw the juice back on. They they had to kill this guy because he was obviously in excruciating pain. Right. So they did it again, and they left it on for a minute. And apparently the generator didn't stop uh, generating more and more voltage. Uh So they have no idea how much they passed through this guy. Apparently sweat came out of his pores, or um, blood came out of his pores like sweat. Uh. Uh, He started to burn. And finally, after a minute, they turned it off. The long shot of this is that it came out that this was an AC generator, albeit an old beat-up one that shouldn't have been used in the first place. And William Kemmler was a an actual casualty, a very wow. brutal casualty in the war between Edison and um, Tesla. Well, he should have thought about that before he took the hatchet to the girlfriend. You know, I'll bet he would have thought twice yeah. had he known what his fate was going to be. See, this would have had the opposite effect on me. Edison was saying, look how dangerous this is. If I would have seen that, I would have said... Wow, that's the electricity that I want supplying uh, power to my house. The kind that makes blood come out of your pores? Yeah, because, I mean, if it can do that, it can probably, you know, light up your room. Right. Well, it certainly lit up William Kemmler. So, they're in a public war. A very public war now. Edison is uh, is, is sweating it. And then in uh, 1893, Westinghouse won the bid to light up the Chicago World's Fair. which the, was The Columbian a, Exposition. Yeah, a big, big deal and a big blow to Edison. He did. And the, you know how he, how he won the bid? He, under, he undercut uh, it, Edison. GE had put in a bid for a million dollars, which if 75000 was $1.8 million, imagine how much a million dollars was back then. Yeah, a ton. That was GE's bid. And by this time, GE, GE had assumed um, Edison's company. Right. Uh, Edison General Electric, I think is what it was called. So he was with GE now. They put in a million dollar bid. Most of it was to cover the copper wire. Because remember, to get cop- to get uh, electricity over long distances uh, using DC, the copper wire has to be big. Right. You have to keep the amps up to keep the voltage up so you lose less yeah, on the, on the far end, right? Sure. So just by using less copper... That alone, um, Westinghouse was able to put in a bit of half a million, undercut them by half. So they got the rights to the Columbian Exposition, and which was big. This was the turning point right here. Yeah, I mean, the rest literally, as they say, is history because that, uh, you know, Grover Cleveland uh, flipped the switch and 100,000 light bulbs lit up and everyone said, boy, AC might be the way to go here. That was it. Yeah, it was cheaper, it worked, and also apparently all over the fair. Uh, were Tesla's inventions on display. So I think 27 million people visited the Chicago World's Fair that year, mm-hmm. and every single one of them got to witness alternating current, yep. which ultimately won. Yep. And even without the World's Fair, I mean, that really punctuated it, but uh, just because it was efficient and economical. I mean, do you know how much you pay for a kilowatt hour of electricity now? Not much. No, it's like 10 cents tops. Yeah. Uh, and there's no telling how much it would be with DC. Uh Plus, also, I was thinking about this. It's you could make the argument that uh, Tesla uh, has saved tons of lives from electrical accidents that never took place. Yeah, true. Because if you have DC, you're not using transformers. You're not stepping it up or down. Yeah, that's a lot of heat, and you can't just send five hundred thousand volts into your electrical outlet. Mm-hmm. You know how many people die if we just gone with DC? It would have never happened. Maybe, maybe not. Would have never happened. So a few years after that, Westinghouse uh, built a hydroelectric plant at Niagara Falls, and all of a sudden Buffalo had power, and then that went then on New York City. to power New York City. They were just showing off by this time. Yeah, and then, dude, it was all over. But yep. don't don't feel too bad for Edison. 
No. Because we still use DC. We use both. We use DC in uh, car batteries. Yeah. And uh, locomotives. Some types of motors use DC, so it's not... I would call those consolation prizes. Yeah, sort of. The booby prize. Yeah. And you put AC and DC together, and you have one of the best rock bands in history. So, Chuck, um, you want to talk a little more about Tesla? You know that he also uh, had a vision. He, w- he never managed to do it, but he had a vision of um, wireless. Yeah. Like, the wireless that we enjoy now, he was thinking about in, like, 1890. Yeah, Josh. He, uh, he met with J.P. Morgan, who was, as you know, one of the most powerful men on Earth at the time. Sure. And uh, he said, basically, I envision a world system of wireless communications to relay telephone messages across the ocean. Not just telephone, I think music as well. Broadcast news and music and stock market reports and private messages. Exactly what we're doing now. Dude, Tesla. Yeah. He was where it's at. Sure. He he basically just didn't have enough money. I think he he probably could have done it had he had enough money. He was working on a tower, and uh, it was very clear that he needed a lot more than the 150,000 Morgan kicked him. Yeah. And Morgan kind of lost interest. And it was Marconi, actually, who put the nail in that wireless coffin. Yep. Because he came up with the telegraph. It's like, ooh, sure. the telegraph. And the radio, which uh, we already said Tesla kind of did a lot of work on the radio, too. Yeah, apparently Tesla pointed out that um, Marconi used no less than 15 um, Tesla patents to create right. that uh, wireless transmission of the S that made him so famous. Right. My impression of Tesla is uh, that he was just this uber genius who was so much into his own genius work that he he, he didn't understand that it required self-promotion and business savvy mm-hmm. and uh, showmanship. And he didn't care about that stuff. So that's why he died alone in 1943 in New York. Sad stuff, Chuck. It is. Not quite as sad as the fate of Topsy the Elephant or William Kemmler, but right. still very sad. Agreed. So, yeah. That was uh, our awkward walk through the life of Nikola Tesla. Well, oh, did we place. did we ever say um well yeah, he won out. Well, I guess we implied it. But yet yeah, today, even still the power stations that generate power do them on the uh, 60 cycle process. Right. But everyone, if you ask your common person on the street who invented electricity? They would say, oh, Edison. And did you also know that the light bulbs, the incandescent light bulbs that he created, were 95% inefficient? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. What a hack. All right, Edison. so that's a Tesla, and Edison can rot. We, yeah, speaking of rock, the band Tesla rocked. If we really didn't want to go there. Remember them? Yeah, they didn't rock, though, is the thing. No, nah, they were terrible. Okay, so uh, Chuck, we just did that. Do you think it's time for listener mail? Please, God, yeah. Yes. Please, indeed. Thank you. So, Josh, I'm just going to call this dreamy listener mail, and it's another dream. And uh, just let me tell folks, I'm not getting into this. Please don't start sending me all your dreams. And certainly don't send them in haiku form. But this is uh, this is a good one. This is sent to us from Ruth from uh, England. And Ruth was backpacking around uh, the United States in 2008. Oh, I know where Ruth changed clothes. And she said, uh, congrats on your country, by the way, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> we're very proud of it, Ruth. Yeah, Thank we're going to take full credit for that. Congrats on your country as well. And she actually came through Atlanta with her friends. And she, this is kind of funny, she mistakenly thought they were going to Atlantic City. And so if you happen to see three very confused English girls in mid-September... Carrying backpacks looking for casinos, that was us, which I thought was kind of funny. They ended up at the video poker machines in the Big H gas station. Right. We should have introduced Ruth to the internet where she could have found out (laughs) that she was about a thousand miles off course. So uh, Ruth writes in and says uh, she had this uh, dream when she was in her mid-twenties, and here it is. 
Um, I was a woman in my mid-twenties with a very maternal and passive attitude on holiday on some kind of island resort. As the dream wore on, the atmosphere in this resort began to change. The reps became increasingly belligerent, and some of the holiday goers became edgy. Then followed a very detailed and structured experience of the island becoming a prison state. Apparent to my mind as a microcosm of an apocalyptic world, she became involved in a secret resistance movement led by a group of African Americans, and they were uh, there were many interpersonal stories, which I won't bore you with now. So she wrote it down in her travel diary. This is where it gets interesting. She wrote it down in her diary, and she told about, uh, you know, told this to a lot of different people because it was such a cool dream over the years. Mm-hmm. And when she returned to England, or I guess over the, the, her travels, she returned to England. She picked up a newspaper, flipped to the art section, and there was a books of the past column, a space devoted to rediscovering books that have gone out of publication. And there was an exact synopsis of her dream. So she dreamt about a book she'd read before. No, she'd never read it. She uh, this was a book was written by an Australian woman 80 years ago. It was out of publication for decades. It was not even popular at the time, and she had never uh, read it. So she dreamt about an 80 year old unpopular novel she had never read. Weird. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So that is uh, from Ruth. She says you don't have to read this out, but heck. it's a little late for that, Ruth. We did anyway. And what you're talking about with her changing clothes? She says that when she went to the Atlanta Aquarium. Uh, she said, please say thank you to the troop of schoolgirls who had to see us wash, brush our teeth, and change our clothes in the bathroom of the aquarium. So Ruth thinks that Atlanta's Atlantic City, yes. that Chuck and I founded America, and that we know the Girl Scouts <laughs> that saw her change in the bathroom. Right. And I, like she, this, I like this, Ruth. Yeah, and the, the, I guess she's possessed by the uh, some 80-year-old Australian The demon writer. of an 80-year-old Australian Right. Writer. So Ruth, hats off to you. If you're ever in town again, look us up. We'll go out and get a pint together. You're buying, Ruth. If you want to buy Chuck and me a pint, yeah, uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?